Hi, I'm Steve Clements, and I have a question. Now that coronavirus vaccinations are starting in the United States and in some places around the world, is this the end of the pandemic or just the beginning? Let's get to the bottom line. After a year that shook humanity to its core, forcing people to rethink their basic social interactions and decide on a daily basis what risks they're willing to take, vaccinations have been discovered and they're finally being deployed. But what happens now? The United States still has the highest number of infections and deaths in the world, and the numbers just keep climbing. Almost 19 million Americans have been infected. At the moment of this broadcast, more than 121,000 Americans are in hospitals. The death toll has eclipsed that of every other country, with more than 330,000 families grieving the loss of a loved one. Scientists warn that this holiday season, we're gonna see even bigger spread of infections and that we should brace ourselves well into the next year. So when are things gonna get under control? Today, we talk with one of America's preeminent scientists, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci, you don't need an introduction, but please bear with me as I tell our audience that you've been head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984, and now you've agreed to become the chief medical advisor for incoming President Joe Biden. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel in this? What should Americans be thinking and doing right now? What's your message to them? Well, Steve, there's certainly light at the end of the tunnel, uh, but it's it's interesting. It's it's bittersweet because we are still here in the United States in the middle of the worst possible situation where we have a couple of hundred thousand cases per day. We have about 2,000 deaths per day. And just yesterday, we broke yet again another record of hospitalizations with 121,000 people hospitalized for COVID-19. So we are in a very difficult situation. We are now in the middle of the Christmas New Year's holiday. There had been significant travel. We've seen the pictures on TV of airports crowded, of people going to and fro for the holidays. And then there will be um, congregate settings where people go to dinners. So we can expect that things will likely get worse as we go into January from the standpoint of the lag that you usually see by a couple of weeks between cases versus hospitalizations versus death. Having said that, December, besides being the worst month that we've had throughout the outbreak, is the beginning of the era of vaccines because we now have vaccines that are already being put into people's arms starting this month, and it will accelerate as we get into January, February, March, and April, with the priority groups being vaccinated, first healthcare providers, people in nursing homes and those who care for them, then critical people in society, people over 75, and on and on. By the time we get to March and April, where I would get I use the terminology, Steve, as open season, namely that anyone who wants to get vaccinated can get vaccinated. By that time, hopefully, we will have, by contractual arrangement, the hundreds of millions of doses that will be necessary to vaccinate, which, as I've been saying, we really want to aim at getting anywhere between 70 and 85 percent of the people in the country vaccinated. So, again, challenging times right now as we speak but encouraging times because vaccines are starting to be rolled out. How would you fix this so that 
when America and the world is hit by the next pandemic of this sort, we're better prepared, not just in science, but also the practice of doing the things we need to do. Well, there are certain things that we want to continue and certain things that we want to dramatically improve, Steve. It's clear, as you mentioned correctly, the one shining light through all of this was the fruits of the science. The fact that given the brand new technologies of platform technology uh, for vaccines, um, the ability to utilize infrastructure of clinical trial networks that were set up decades ago for HIV. You might recall we put so much investment years ago and the fundamental basic science that made that scene successful. So in the future, if we continue the support of basic and clinical biomedical research so that we will have the most up-to-date scientific advances on our side, that is important. The thing that we really need to do much better on is the public health preparedness, namely the build the public health at the local level infrastructure so that when you're talking about identification, isolation, contact tracing, it can be done in an effective way. The other thing is to realize the importance of consistency of messaging, the importance of uh, centrally, um, I wouldn't say controlled, but centrally involved. One of the things that we did, we left a lot of responsibility on the states who you know, did it variably. Some did it much better than others. And we didn't have a consistent response through the country. Uh, that we've got to fix. We've got to make sure that we have consistency, because when you're dealing with outbreaks, pandemic outbreaks, even though you respect the individuality of the states, there needs to be a consistency in what you do and how you do it. One of the things that's come up is the mRNA platforms, if I'm uh, describing them correctly, that have been a key part of developing these vaccines. You know, you've worked on uh, uh, viruses after viruses, Zika, Ebola, HIV. And the question is, does this now open a gateway to go back and look at this library of other viruses that we continue to struggle with and give us new pathways to dealing with things you've, you've been wrestling with in the past? The answer is yes, Steve. And, and if you look at the extraordinary potential for new vaccine platform technologies. There are more than one new one, but let's take mRNA as an example. There was a lot of skepticism when we used the mRNA as one of our top priority vaccine candidates for COVID-19. Uh, in fact, sometimes that skepticism even uh, kind of meshed into criticism of why we were taking a chance with this brand new technology. We had faith in it because we had been working on it for a few years before and saw its potential. We believe that other vaccines that have uh, eluded success, that have avoided success and escaped success, that we will now use these new platform technologies and hopefully will get a greater degree of success with other vaccines using a now proven technology that just a year or so ago was well before it was proven. Are we ready to um, go forward and begin looking at what we need to prepare for the next uh, pandemic that comes in? Do we have a fast action response? And as I'm thinking about it, we've seen uh, new variants of this virus uh, and mutations of it in the UK and in South Africa. 
Um, does the platform that, that you and your team have helped develop now and the private sector has developed, are we in a good position to do combat with, with mutations of COVID and the next coronavirus that comes down the pike? Yeah. So the answer is yes, but let's be careful that, you know, RNA viruses mutate all the time. And a mutation most of the time is not associated with a functional change in the virus, but occasionally it is. It seems to be, according to the preliminary evaluation by the Brits, and we'll be confirming this because we're going to be doing a lot of studies on this mutant virus. Um, the preliminary studies show that it actually does seem to, or at least suggests, that it spreads more rapidly and is more easily transmissible. There doesn't appear to be any effect on its function as a virulent virus. Namely, it doesn't seem to make people sicker or kill them faster. And it doesn't seem to have a negative impact on the efficacy of the immune response induced by the vaccine. So that's all good news. But we still need to keep our eye out on it. But with regard to your question, are we facile enough to be able to move and switch around if, in fact, it does what it hasn't yet done, namely escapes the protection of a vaccine? The answer is yes. And that's one of the beauties of the mRNA technologies. And you can quickly adapt it to a change in a certain uh, conformation or a certain mutational change that you see in the spike protein. You know, one of the things I did in anticipation of our conversation today, uh, Dr. Fauci, is I went out on Facebook and I said, let's ask Dr. Fauci questions that he might not get from everyone else. What's on your mind? Uh, can you, you know, provide some constructive questions? Over 100 fantastic questions uh, were listed. But among those that came up a lot were those that were very unclear about how the vaccine was going to be deployed, when they would get it, and what you get, because this 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 Facebook page for whatever reaches every corner of the country, as best I can tell, or a lot of them, is that people aren't getting it. They don't understand. There seems to be a communications gap. Well, we have put a lot of effort and continue literally on a daily basis. I mean, I do it. I don't think a day goes by where I don't outreach in some way to the community. Usually, the community that is often disenfranchised, like the African-American and Latino and Latinas community, to see and make sure that they understand, A, the importance of getting vaccinated, why it's good for them, their family, and their community, but also to get the information of how that will roll out. So that clearly is something that we're doing. The fact that you said that there is a lot of confusion means that we've got to do better. I mean, you've just defined how the situation is because if people are still asking questions, not fully understanding the difference between getting a vaccine shipped to a local community and actually getting it put into someone's arm, because you hear a lot about the scheduling for shipping vaccines, a certain amount will go to a certain place at a certain time. But once it gets there, what are the mechanisms whereby that vaccine is gonna get equitably distributed so that, as you say, people from all walks of life will have access to the vaccine, not just those who are in a situation, be it economically or otherwise, where they have easier access. You know, President Trump and some members of his advisory team on the coronavirus task force talked about mask wearing as if it was a restriction on liberty and that and encouraged uh, groups to go out and liberate themselves from governors who were, you know, sending orders. 
Um, I just want to know how you felt about that and whether you think there's a way to talk to those people who did get that framing that they felt like their their uh, liberties were being restricted. How do we bring a country back together so that they look at the virus and they see the same thing? Well, the first thing, Steve, is you can't start off by criticizing them for not thinking or feeling like you do, but try to reach out in a modest and humble way to explain to them that this is a public health issue. This is not a political issue. This is not an individual rights issue. This is a public health issue. And we are in one of the worst catastrophes that we've ever had in the last 102 years. And ask them to just look at the numbers. Look at the 320 plus thousand deaths and a couple of hundred thousand new infections each day. Uh, have them look at the numbers and see that we're dealing with a real problem. And the problem is not a problem of personal liberties or a problem of politics. It's a problem of public health. So we've got to transcend any differences. I mean, you can accept that people have differences politically. That's just part of life and part of the way we live in this country. But political differences should not interfere with what is the well-established and clearly proven response to a pandemic outbreak. That's the message we've got to get across. Not that we feel that because you're different politically than someone else, that that makes a difference when it comes to public health. It doesn't make any difference at all. Are, are kids going to be vaccinated? Are there practices that can be deployed, uh, do you believe, to get schools back open because they're such a fundamental part of our social contract in the country? Or is that something we're still going to have to you know, hibernate uh, as the best strategy for a while until uh, we achieve a different equilibrium on both vaccinations and, and you know, I don't want to say herd, herd immunity, but, but it is out there. But whether we get another equilibrium out there on our overall public health. Well, you have a couple of questions in there, Steve. Let me, let me I think they're two big questions. So let me uh, answer them separately. Ultimately, children will be vaccinated. Whenever you roll out a large vaccine program, because children are particularly vulnerable, you don't want to give them the vaccine at exactly the same time as you test it in adults. So you have to show, which we have, that the vaccine is safe and effective in adults. Then you have to get the vaccine out implemented for a while and show that in the big picture of the implementation of a vaccine program, it is safe and it is effective in adult. Then you go and do phase one or phase two A trials in children which will start in January. We will start doing testing in children to show that it's safe. That means that probably a couple of months thereafter, vaccine will be available for children. That will be terrific because if you can vaccinate children, it would alleviate by a lot the issue that we face with regard to schooling. Now, when children are vaccinated, you'll feel much more comfortable of their being in school, but even prior to the full vaccination of children. You still wanna, as I mentioned before, has as your default position, getting the children back to school or keeping them in school at the same time as trying to put up a system where you can safeguard them by mitigating any risk that they have of getting infected. But first choice would be to get them back to school. 
you know, about a year before COVID um, broke out, you and I had a conversation and I asked you to tell me what your worst nightmare was as you look forward. And, you know, you, you described uh, the respiratory kind of virus uh, that COVID was. Uh, and it was just one of the chilling uh, moments when I look back at, at interviews I've done. And um, I guess now I'd ask you, as you sit here today, what is your next worst nightmare as you look forward? Yeah. Well, you know, my next worst nightmare is not getting out of this nightmare without having a lot more suffering and death. And I think that we need to really, really put, put every effort possible into getting the entire country to adhere to public health measures and put aside this, this very difficult situation of, of politicizing it and not wanting to adhere to public health measures. Also to get the vaccine uh, out and distributed in an efficient way so that very quickly we get as many people vaccinated as possible. Having said that, we will end this outbreak. There's no doubt it will end. We've been through a terrible experience, but it will end. When it does end, we have to look forward because outbreaks continue to happen. They've happened long before people have even recorded history. We've seen it in our lifetime with multiple outbreaks, HIV, Ebola, Zika, now COVID-19, pandemic flu. There will be other outbreaks. So we've got to make sure that we prepare and use the lessons learned that we have actually learned from this experience and make sure we do better next time. One of the uh, the questions that I have about you know the, the the situation we're in right now is whether or not science itself um, has been badly impacted or whether it's prevailed. You know, I tell people, you know, clearly science is delivering in this in this pandemic in some ways. But if Galileo was alive today, I'm not sure uh, that he wouldn't be found guilty again. There seems to be a struggle over rationality, empiricism, and science. How do you feel about that struggle right now? And you become identified really as the most respected person in the world when it comes to science. It, it, does that uh, burden, uh, burden you? Um, and, and how do you feel about the prospects for science itself looking forward? Well, it's a complicated issue. No, I don't feel that it's burdened me. This is the life I've chosen and this is what I do. So it's not a burden because I, you know, it's my life and, and, and I've chosen it and happily chosen it. The issue is that science has been very successful in doing something that was unheard of or unimaginable years ago, is to go from the identification of a new pathogen, in this case, this mysterious virus that just thrust itself upon us, and then we identified it in January of this year. In less than a year, in 11 months, it actually now is going into someone's arms into a lot of people's arms, and it has been proven to be highly efficacious and safe. That is a very successful coup de force of science. My concern is that there is a lingering anti-science feeling in this country that is sort of mixed in with an anti-vaccine feeling that we've got to overcome by being transparent about what we've done and what we want to do with science. So there's Good news and bad news. You know, the good news is science has really triumphed in this outbreak. The sobering news is that there's still a lingering pushback against science in this country.
I guess my question to you is you kind of look at that legacy of fighting and these zoonotic viruses that have that have come down the pike. You know, do, do you have the Larry Kramer? Do we have the Larry Kramer out there today that we need to get some of this right? You know, it's a different situation now when you have an outbreak that is involving virtually everybody in the world. I don't think there's anybody that can sit back and say, realistically, say, oh, this, this outbreak has no impact on me at all. Even people who call it fake news, their life has been changed by this outbreak. Namely, we can't do many of the things that we've done under normal circumstances. Uh, Dr. Fauci, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt has played you on Saturday Night Live. There are now uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas tributes to you, uh, and there's even a Hamilton parody out there. Is it hard, is it, is it more fun, uh, or is it hard to be the Tony Fauci that's become such a, uh, a big shot in pop culture today, um, or, or, or is this something you feel is sort of out, outside your world? Well, I think the latter, mostly, Steve. I mean, this is kind of nice in some respects. It's amusing to see that, but I can't pay attention to it because it will be a distraction. So just as I don't pay attention to the threats on my life, the harassment of my family, which goes on continually, literally on a daily basis, I, I don't pay attention to those other things because they can be distracting. I, I, you know, I've met some of the people who are doing it. It's really nice, it's charming, it's amusing to see it. But if I focused on it and took my eye off the ball, which is ending this outbreak, then I wouldn't be doing my job. So, I mean, it's happening, it's on one extreme and the other, but I focus like a laser on what I should be doing, which is ending this outbreak. Dr. Fauci, after people are vaccinated, do they need to continue to wear masks? The answer is yes, for a couple of reasons. Because just because you're vaccinated, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of virus outside in the community until you get the level of virus so low that it virtually is no longer an issue. You should wear a mask. Also, even though you're vaccinated and you're protected against getting clinical disease, you still could have virus in your nasopharynx. Remember, masks are to prevent you from infecting other people and to prevent other people from infecting you. So until you completely crush the virus, we should be implementing the classical public health measures, including wearing a mask. About 20%, maybe 30% of Americans uh, are resistant on the notion of taking a vaccine. Uh, can that be ignored? Can, can the rest of America get vaccinated and can we achieve an overall equilibrium of health without regard to those that, that don't want to participate? Well, uh, it's sad that that many people don't want to do it. Uh, I've been saying, and my epidemiology colleagues agree with me, that in order to achieve herd immunity, you need somewhere between 70 and 85 percent of the population to be vaccinated. So I would like to see uh, a very small proportion of people not vaccinated. I'd like to see everybody vaccinated, but I think in reality, to be realistic, I don't want to see a large proportion because that would hinder our attainment of herd immunity. And, and finally, when we reach the next holiday season of Christmas and Hanukkah and Eid, um, are families going to be able to get back together again? Are we going to see a return to some semblance of normality, of being able to be around uh, the table and in rooms with the people we love? 
The answer to that in my mind is yes, but there's an if there. And the if is if we actually get enough people vaccinated that we can bring the level of virus in the community so low that it's no longer a threat. So if we get to herd immunity by the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall, I believe that we can have what would appear to be and will in reality be a normal Christmas, a normal Thanksgiving, a normal New Year's a year from now. Well, the overwhelming message I got from people on my Facebook page uh, was to thank you for your service, the things you've done to save so many people. So Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you so much for joining us here today uh, and good luck on your mission. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate you having me on the show. So what's the bottom line? All I could think about during this conversation with Dr. Fauci is how the national conversation on the coronavirus is finally gonna shift. The folks that still believe it's a hoax and shout about their liberty to not wear a mask and demand that schools and everything reopen as if nothing's going on and wanna fire scientists and experts like Dr. Fauci, well, they're still gonna be out there, but they can't do the same damage they did before. As Dr. Fauci has said, things are still gonna get worse before getting better in the United States and Americans are gonna have to hunker down for a lot longer than they thought. Science itself has been on trial this last year. But again, as has happened over and over in world history, science is delivering. And that's one thing to be thankful for as we go into a new year. And by the way, happy new year. And that's the bottom line.